And now it's time for the podcast, Sustainable Dad. Hey, and welcome again to the Sustainable Dad podcast. Today, I want to talk about the idea of sustainability as being two things, top down and bottom up. Um, So that is to say that um, we can't just look at farmers and manufacturers and governments and say, you figure out sustainability unless we're kind of willing as individuals to assess our own footprint and what they look like. Now, um, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be talking to a couple of CSIRO scientists about um, understanding what that looks like for um, primary agriculture. Uh, And then we're also going to be talking to a couple of uh, sustainability economists. I have no clue what that's going to look like. Um, But my goal here is to get an understanding of that. What does it look like to be top down and bottom up as a culture when it comes to sustainability? Now, the first conversation we're going to have is with a lady named Martia. Now, she works for the CSIRO as a senior research scientist in Australia. And um, one of her big topics of conversation is to look at the climate smart agriculture and the environmental impacts of business and agriculture to help bring stakeholders within those particular areas to better and greener decisions. Now, she's going to look at the life cycle of everyday products. I mean, as simple as a loaf of bread, like how much does it cost for us to let half that loaf of bread go stale? You may not think it's a big conversation, but it is. Um, Now, I need to give you a bit of a warning. The line isn't as great as I could have made it. Um, We had a little bit of issues, but I think the content is really fantastic. So here's Martia, senior researcher from the CSIRO, sharing a little bit on the life cycle of a product on Sustainable Dad. Heard for the first time, of course, on Hope 103.2 as part of the Hope for the Planet series. Joining us to help me out, Figure my way through all of this is Martia Sevenster from the CSIRO. She joins us right now. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Martia, when we think about sustainability, um, there's simple products like bread that can have life cycles that can actually make them a little bit unsustainable. Can you kind of unpack that for us and how a life cycle of a product affects its sustainability? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the things I would really like to point at is that I like to think about products as having a particular function. And depending on how, how important that function is for you, so like if you really, really enjoy your bread, the function will be slightly different from when you don't enjoy it that much. Or, or similarly, if you really enjoy driving a very fast car, um, that will give you lots of benefits. Um, and then the trade-off, of course, is that, just like you said, that the whole process of producing bread, of growing the grain, of transporting it all to uh, the mill, the flour mill, of then transporting it to the baker, etc. that it, every product sort of accrues um, a bit of environmental impact over, over its um, value chain. And by the time it ends up in the shop and you actually buy it, uh, it will already have all those embedded impacts, as we call them. Now, I like to think about that as not – it doesn't necessarily mean that a product is is unsustainable or sustainable. It is 
probably the most important thing that happens next is the is the choices that you actually make as a consumer uh, of of how much you're going to buy of that product and are you going to really use it very efficiently or like in the case of bread um, are you going to only eat half of it and find two weeks later that the, the other half has sort of withered away and you throw it in the bin so um, rather than thinking about sustainable products, I like to think about sustainable consumption um, or sustainable production. Of course, a producer uh, can make all sorts of decisions as well about how, how well they think about their supply chains. Um, but given that we're talking about households here and, and your household in particular, I think thinking about that whole package of consumption uh, and how you deal with the products that you buy is, is very important in the sustainability story. And that's, I think, i got two little kids, which means that there's a lot of time when we finish a meal and there's leftover food. You know, like I think on average I would throw away two pieces of toasted bread almost every other day. Now, yep. um, as I kind of read one of your papers, according to that, I would almost be creating 12 kilos of CO2 a year based on the fact that yep. I have to use the toaster and then toast that bread that has had its own life cycle for no particular reason at all, other than the fact that yep. my kid didn't eat it. Yep, absolutely, that's right. Yeah, and that, and of course, I mean, we we hear a lot about food waste uh, and how that has this huge impact on the environment that is a little in, invisible for the consumer, but it's exactly like you point out. You, you create that CO2, which is all hidden behind production and and the electricity used by the toaster, and then you don't actually need that toast because um, your kids decided to eat something else. Yeah. So does that then also explain, kind of, kind of extend, sorry, to the way that we would use household appliances? Like I fill up the jug to boil it for a cup of tea. Is that a sustainable approach to boiling water? <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that is actually one of my um, pet topics, in a sense. Uh, so, if you if you boil the jug for a cup of tea or a cup of a cup of coffee, people might initially think that it's the coffee or the tea that has the impact in it. Mm. Um, but actually, boiling the water takes a lot of energy, and so if you boil a whole kettle for just one cup, that's that's very very bad. <laughs> if I can say it like that. So trying to just boil as much as you need, trying to uh, toast as much bread as you need is, is a very good start to improving, um, well, the overall sustainability of your, your household consumption. Okay, so, so, I mean, and we're starting with little items right here. You know, like let's say yeah. that on average I'm generating 12 kilos of CO2 from the bread that I'm wasting by toasting and my kids not eating. Uh, I'm thinking to myself, um, at, at some stage this year, I'm going to head to Meatstock, which is a massive barbecue festival where the last time I talked to one of the smokers there, they went through two ton of beef smoking it in one day. I mean, if we're talking about bread having a significant environmental in, impact and thinking about that in a sustainable sense for it, consumption, I mean, where does red meat and cows sit then on that? <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of people would have heard heard about that recently because I find whenever I turn on the radio, I, I, I 
you know, one out of five times, I probably hear something about all these issues about how the different bits that we eat, how the different elements in our diets have the different impacts. Um, and it's been very well established by now that that all types of animal products and specifically um, red meat have a very high impact per, well, let's say per kilo um, of, of product, but you can't really compare a kilo of meat with a kilo of bread. So this is, this is where that functionality comes back in again that I talked about earlier. Is, uh, how much do you enjoy that particular food? How much uh, does it help to you not, for your nutrition? So, of course, we know that meats are very good for particular proteins and uh, a lot of other elements that we do need um, and that you can get from other food sources. But you have to you have to have a balanced diet. So I think that should always be the starting point. Um, the way I like to think about it is that rather than saying, oh, you shouldn't eat meat at all, yeah. you could decide to eat a little bit less, of course. And I guess going to meat stock might sound like that's not an element of eating less meat. But if that is really that that day is a highlight of your year and, and you really enjoy going there and eating lots of meat, you can balance it off from, by maybe then having a couple of weeks where um, you don't you don't eat meat. Um, well, that's how you know you've had a good so, meat stock is when you, you realize you just have to eat vegetables for the next month to process everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I'm not sure how a dietitian would look at that, but yeah, I think, you know, that's the, that's the sort of balancing that you can very easily do and um, just think about it that way. I, I don't like to think about any products as being absolutely banned or maybe there's a, a couple that you might think of, but in general... Um, just just thinking about it as from that complete consumption package and and maybe just reducing the meat a little bit so i i guess as we we you, we work towards a sustainable consumption i'm kind of picking up on this idea that you know when it comes yep. to boiling water use just as much as you need when it comes to making toast or making food um maybe err on the side of less rather than having leftovers that end up going to waste um yep. there these kind of rhythms that we can pick up that we can then kind of adopt into each and every one of our household. What are some of the other ways that we can kind of approach sustainable consumption? Because obviously a big one too is if you love it a lot, that's great, but figure out ways to compromise in other areas to lower that footprint. That's right. I think it's. I think it goes across the board. Um, so another another issue that you. Uh, could think about is is for instance is it really necessary to have the lights on in in every room in the house after dark or or do you sort of just light the few rooms that you're um, that you're using a lot um, so uh, it, it is all about yeah thinking about what what that actual that using that product or using the electricity or using the car what what does it get you uh, I mean, I'm a, I personally, I'm a very big fan of public transport, but it's not always um, uh, available, uh, especially around the Canberra area where I live. Public transport is is somewhat limited, so you 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 sort of try to combine different ways of getting around: a bit of a car and a bit of the bus um, and a bicycle when you can fit it in. But um, really thinking about what are the options and, and what's going to work best for me uh, without just uh, probably the, the, the biggest thing that I see uh, in, in 
as a as a way to improve for people is is maybe not to always default to a particular option. Yeah. Uh, and and so that might be the toast where you say, well, you don't need to default to always toasting twelve pieces of bread. Maybe um, it's you know it's it's definitely not easy. I think it's it's quite a challenge um, well, to it, to to move away from those defaults. But that's uh, it, it is something that is in our power to do. As I was kind of doing some research, I guess, on the idea of sustainability, I was learning that a lot of people who are very deep into kind of sharing and researching and understanding this have actually given up flying. They just refuse to fly anywhere. What's the kind of carbon footprint for for a person who jumps on a plane and goes to, I don't know, like the United States or something? I mean, because to give up flying means there's got to be a significant impact on the environment, right? Yes, and and there is there is no doubt about that. Um, flying just takes a lot of energy, as you would imagine. Yeah. They're, they're very big, <laughs> huge, big planes that you have to get in the air, and lots of people in them. Um, and so, even though it's thing that is becoming more efficient, it it in the end, if you look at the personal uh, footprints um, of not just food consumption but everything people do, then that that bracket of recreation and holidays actually contributes a lot. Uh, and I think uh, the one of the things in Australia, of course, is if you want to go anywhere abroad, then it, it pretty much involves flying um, unless you go on a cruise. So, so I think that is certainly one of the one of the aspects of Australian life that is tricky there. Uh, do you say if you want to go and see other countries, then you you pretty much have to use that mode of transport. Um, but yeah, I can certainly see where those people are coming from, mm. um, and I think uh, it, it's hard to do to make uh, that the balancing that we talked about before. For you say, well, you eat a lot of meat one day and maybe a bit less for a, a week after that. Uh, because of the high impact of flying, it's quite hard to balance that off. Um, so unless you might, you may have the option to choose not to own a car, for instance, for the rest of the year, that could be a a balancing uh, a balancing option. But yeah, <laughs> it's it, quite a it, significant it, impact. You say that's a very significant impact. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess the other the other side of this too is not just sustainability, but this issue of social justice, right? Is that we see um, palm oil is no longer allowed to be considered sustainable anyway. Like you can't have sustainable palm oil. Is that there's a, there's a social impact to this? I know that recently uh, Australia said that it was going to do everything to to abolish slavery. But we, in simple products, sometimes we find within the supply chain some major social justice issues. Yeah, that is right. It it works the same way, um, and I think a lot of people would be aware of of this in uh, the clothing supply chain mm. because we all remember that horrible accident in Bangladesh uh, not that long ago, uh, and and so in a lot of those supply chains, clothing and uh, sportswear, for instance, there there is a lot of attention to that, and and most companies would have a protocol in place to. At least try and monitor what's what's happening in all the factories that would produce parts or would do do part of the um, production of the the garments that we're talking about. So the the recent legislation in Australia is that uh, uh, companies are now uh, 
um, they have to. Those are, it's, there's a mandatory requirement to to know what is happening in your supply chain, and it it's it's almost like the 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 scaled up version of what I think we would all like to do as individuals is where you say, well, you know, I know I can't control everything, but at least we have a bit of a responsibility to to know and think about what's happening. And so this is what the the larger company, companies now have to do as well. They can no longer say, oh well, I you know I didn't know about that. You have a bit of an obligation to to find out um, and trace whether there is any instances of of child labour or uh, bonded labour or or straight out slavery in uh, in supply chains. And and to be honest, even in Aus- in Australia, some of these. Um, practices occasionally occur so uh, it's not something that just happens overseas although it it's probably more likely to be overseas but these these malpractices can can happen at the most unlikely of um um processes in the supply chain well i, I remember one story i think it was involving the body shop and that they were getting palm oil through a third-party provider but when you traced it back um what was happening was that the indigenous um community on which the palm oil was being taken from were basically having their la- lands possessed and then cut down for for palms and yep. um, it wasn't until people walked into the store and compromised their bottom line that they really kind of sat up and paid attention. And then, you know, to their credit, addressed that and changed the, the way they did stuff like that. But, I mean, that, that's kind of disconcerting when you think about that. That's a place that you would shop at thinking that it's ethically sourced and ethically yeah. produced. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think it goes to show how difficult it is in, in you know, the uh, – current day global supply chains it it is actually really hard to trace um i i actually happen to have a mobile phone which is called a fair phone it's a it's a brand that isn't uh, available on the australian market right it, it originates from uh the netherlands um I'm using it here, so it it does work. <laughs> but the thing is that this brand explicitly set out to try and clean up the supply chain of your typical mobile phone, which I think a lot of people would be aware that some of the metals in in mobile phones uh, originate from countries in Africa, for instance, where there is a lot of malpractice in the mining sector. Um, And so there is the the, the four metals that are called conflict metals. Um, And this particular brand, I think, took six years to build supply chains that they are confident about are conflict free for those four metals and incredible. so this is incredible it's a lot of hard work and you can't you can't just do that from one day to the next so i uh, you know I, I think even companies like the body shop that that would have the best of intentions will uh, still be confronted by um things they didn't know about and then of course the question is whether they could have known about it or not but uh, i certainly no, that it isn't. It's not straightforward at all. You know, I feel kind of, as I start to unpack this, there's questions that I need to be asking as a consumer each and every day. 
One is, is do I know the background of the product and where it comes from and where all the parts come to come together? And it sounds like um, there's a lot happening now to ensure that those processes are in place so you can have an awareness of that. The, the second thing is whatever it is and whatever I'm eating, how bad do I want it? Um, and am I willing yep. to make compromises elsewhere to have it because I want it that bad, right? Because yep. from what I'm hearing, if I really love beef, great, have some beef. But if you're going to want to live sustainably, to do that, you're going to have to make some sacrifices elsewhere to lower your footprint. Yeah, I think that is, that's a great way to look at it. Um, you know, I, I, I think I know that um, for, from myself and from a lot of friends and, and colleagues that I talk to this about, um, it, it can be a little overwhelming sometimes to have to or to feel that you have to think about all these things. But but just starting by being a bit more aware of, of why you buy things and what the consequences of that are. And maybe just occasionally when you when you're about to buy something in a in a shop or even online just ask uh, a couple of questions uh, and you know you don't you don't always have to spell out all the details but i think if if we all become more aware of what we're doing and and what the consequences of those choices are and and we communicate this so i think that's quite important that the companies that we buy from actually know that that we think this is important um that will generate a lot of momentum. Fantastic. Marcia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. 